don't trust you. <laughs> don't trust you, Akwanga. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast and Ringer FC. I'm Misa Kwonga. Why are you shouting? Because <laughs> I'm excited. I'm really excited. I'm Ryan Hunt. Can't someone... Do you know what? Do you know what? After the scene... Let me live. Exactly. Let the good I, man live. I feel entitled. I feel entitled to my excitement. You can do anything you want, man. It's your podcast. It's my... excited if you want. Yeah, I wish it was my podcast. Anyway, sorry, sorry. Um, hey, well, you know, do the work, get the reward. You know? <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? I'm getting out of here? No. So... What's wrong you... with that? Isn't it? We're not, why are we disrespecting each other after they disrespected 11? It's because... It because the Premier League was so lawless. The pre- exactly. The Premier League itself, it's method podcasting. The Premier League itself is so disrespectful at the moment. It really is, man. I think it's causing people to be meaner to each other. We were thinking about where to start today. We were going to start with La Liga, but... We're going to actually deal with the Premier League lawlessness. Then we'll do a bit of Women's Super League, do La Liga, Serie A. Yeah. And touch on a couple of other key games that we saw. Might swerve the Bundesliga mainly this week because it was relatively uneventful. Yeah, relatively. Talk a little bit about Celtic Rangers and then we'll get into a couple of the disrespected 11 submissions that some people have sent over. There was many an eyebrow raised. Wow. Just saying. Interesting. Thanks to everyone who sent them in. Quick bit of admin. We both should be having pieces going up this week. That's right. Yeah, on yeah. the ringer.com forward slash soccer. Musa will be going earlier on in the week. And then um, hopefully I'll have something up later in the week as well. Yep. Don't forget our theme music is for sale. Stadio.bandcamp.com. We're donating all the money. All the info to who we're do- donating it to is on the Bandcamp page. And thanks to everyone who tuned into Stadio Sessions on Friday. That was super fun. Did two hours of music and football commentary and that will go up later this week. We'll post the link from our Twitter, which is at Stadio. Any other admin? I suppose there's a hydration notice. Uh, Apart from... I'm going to put you on notice. (laughs) All right, let's get into the football after this. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. So we did a live tweet on Saturday. We did indeed. From the Ringer Twitter account. And we're still here, which means that no one came for us. Done okay. Yeah, no one came for us. You got all right with the Man United game. I had Manchester City Arsenal, which was kind of dry, actually. I mean, should we wrap those games super quick? First, because we live tweeted them. Yeah, why not? I mean, they weren't that exciting, but yeah. Actually, mine was okay. Mine was okay. Yeah, yours was okay. Manchester City won Arsenal nil. Basically, I was live tweeting about this, and it was very much like Batman in The Dark Knight Rises when he's trying to get out of the prison. This is just what Arsenal remind me of a little bit in games like this. It's just like, take the rope off. Take the rope off. <laughs> And free yourself. I mean, they were they were okay, but it just felt a bit meh, this game. There's a great article by Tim Stillman about the way that Arsenal play and how the attacks are too precise. Yeah. And how everything has to be like really calibrated. Otherwise, Arsenal don't score unless they like really have good shots. 
And to be honest, the one thing it reminded me of is a slight warning sign is, is Louis van Gaal at Manchester United. When van Gaal's United were good, they were as good as any United team I've seen in the last 20 years. When they beat Liverpool at Anfield 2-1 and when they beat Man City 4-2 in the derby, they were mind-blowing. But they were as good, but the, the precision that it takes to be that good like it, you can't, most teams can't achieve that. Most, most teams can't achieve it. So you need, you need maybe more chaos in the team. Mm. And maybe... I mean, I'm more, you know what, I'm, I'm very pro-chaos. Yeah, I think, well, well everyone's, even, I was saying this to Tim on, on Twitter, like even Mourinho and Capello have been pro-chaos. Maybe there's something to look at for Arsenal there in terms of a bit more unpredictability, but I'm sure they'll get there. Yeah, it was nice for Arsenal in a way to not be embarrassed. You know, they didn't give away a penalty, which I suppose is progress, but... You know, I think Manchester City were more than good value for the win, although I think Arsenal would be kicking themselves. There was a couple of chances that Arsenal could have equalised in the first half. The Aubameyang one, for example, the way he got given offside, if you put it away, I think it would have gone to VAR and he wouldn't have been given offside because he was on. Although we don't know anymore. The absence of De Bruyne was good news, obviously, for, yeah. for Arsenal. They didn't take full advantage of that. City were interesting for their tactical noodling. I'm not quite sure still mm. what system they were playing. Basically, Ruben Diaz, Rodrigo, Ake and Walker ahead of him. Mm. Bernardo and Jao Cancelo in front of them. Sterling behind Mares, Aguero, Foden. It's very much a side who was expecting to have the ball in the opposition half for most of the game, which they did. Yeah, I think it's... I just thought this was quite a strange game. Like, it was good to see Thomas Partey come on. I think it was too soon to ask him to start a game like that. But I think that... The element of chaos, I think, that you were talking about, I think someone like him can actually bring to that Arsenal midfield because he is so good at turning defence into attack mm. and transitioning. I think you saw that Arsenal, for example, very similar to Manchester City, when they're set, they're really good. I thought Arsenal looked really, really good until the first time they got turned around and were running towards their own box. That's, that's where the City goal came from, really. Yeah. But yeah, just felt like a bit of a weird game this and maybe because everything is so fun and chaotic at the moment that actually seeing a really tight game where not a huge amount happens I think there was only a couple of big chances for each side maximum then kind of feels a bit underwhelming yeah no definitely it did, it did stand out as a match yeah before we move on from this game there was a moment where Sergio Aguero disagreed with a decision made by assistant referee Sean Macielis and you've probably all seen has been widely shared on social media and they even actually mentioned it on match of the day placed his hand on like the back of her neck and on part of her shoulder and she flicked his hand away almost instinctively. I've seen a lot of people talking about this and rightly so and I just think that it reminded me of when Sandy Baltimore was subbed off for PSG in the Women's Champions League and Olivier Guafni really smothered her when he came off. There were a lot of people responding with pictures of Paul Pogba with his hand on Mike Dean's head and all of this kind of stuff and loads of other out of context stuff that to be honest is just A, it's wrong and B, I do not understand where this... I mean, you also saw it this weekend which, with something that we'll touch on later with the um, Jordan Pitford, Virgil van Dijk thing. When something like this happens and a number of women are saying, every woman knows this feeling, every woman knows this movement, every woman has been in this scenario, you are essentially touching a woman in her place of work in an uncomfortable manner. No matter if you pat your teammates backside, something like that, it's a completely different thing. It's a completely different dynamic. And I thought it was really icky. I think that a lot of men in their working lives have normalised inappropriate touching of women. Mm -hmm. I do in ways they wouldn't touch guys. For example, when a woman walks past a man in a corridor and a man's like trying to get past, there are times he like, he'll put his hand on her waist. That is not a way that I've ever seen a man touch another man in that situation. I've never seen a guy do that. Never, ever, 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 right? So Yeah, I don't think, I don't think he does that at all if it's a, if it's a male assistant. Right, so there's a certain, yeah, there's a certain like... There's a power dynamic there as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. And I, I just think that a lot of the people that leapt to going, Messi did this and Pogba did that, Pogba touched Mike Dean. I'm like, hang on a minute. I want those men to ask themselves and those boys to ask themselves, in the privacy of their own homes, why is it that whenever anything to do with feminism or sexism is brought up, my gut reaction is to be like, no, 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 no. Like, and if you just don't like women or don't like girls, then own it. Because I saw some comments to the, um, this whole fallout going, oh, it's 2020. You can't do this stuff this days or this or that. Or someone said it, it was obnoxious. It wasn't evil. And I was like, hang on a minute. This is all the perspective of the dude. You know, it's either it wasn't a problem or 
if it was a problem, the guy didn't mean it. And it was like, all these men were almost like making apologies for themselves. But here's the weird thing as well. Like you look at Pep, for example, Pep came out and said, oh, Aguero is a really nice guy. There are problems in football, but not this one. And I was like, well, you did that to Bibiana Steinhaus when you were at Bayern Munich. Two things can be true. Aguero can be a nice guy and he could also have done something that was a bit off key. I think there's something deeper going with Pep, which I think that people are realising now, as, he more, he's, as he's more under scrutiny, as he's not on the winning streak he was on before, I think people question the legend more just because people, you know, when, when, when a manager's having a period of like dominance, people are more in awe. But as Pep has struggled a bit more, people have started to look at the human more than the, the genius manager. And actually, they're like, oh my God, Pep really would throw a lot of people under the bus for football. Like there's a lot that he will basically sacrifice for a nice passing movement and a nice game of football. That's the thing. And actually, like, I think his ruthlessness is becoming apparent because he didn't have the compassion to step away and be like, yeah, you know what? That wasn't a good look. That wasn't Manchester City at our best. Peppers had a couple of opportunities now where players have fucked up somewhere to come out and make a statement and a really powerful one. You know, now this is a guy who off his own back started talking about oppression and slavery in a post-match interview in a second language. Right. He's aware. He's deeply aware. He could have come straight out and said, listen, Aguero is a really nice guy. This is a bad look, what he's done here. We'll have a word and he'll issue an apology. Done. Gone. Made the he, point. He acknowledged it. Yeah. And he doubled down. And that's basically how so much of this stuff escalates. I have to say, the good thing was that even though they only did it briefly, they mentioned it on Match of the Day and highlighted it. Yeah. Uh, Gary Lineker, Alan Shearer and Ian Wright and all of them were just, you could see how, this is the thing, it just, looking at it, it was weird. It was like, it was, you know, the same as looking at Sandy Baltimore when she got subbed off in the, in the Champions League. It was just like, this isn't right. This isn't yeah, absolutely. right. Absolutely. Just one thing I'd like to say on this, because, you know, I'm a straight white guy, as we've mentioned numerous times on this podcast. <laughs> what other podcast? What other kind of podcast is that? Hello, everyone. I have a straight white guy who does a football podcast. What? Oh my God. Wow. Revolutionary. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? You're a straight white guy with a podcast. How many boxes do you want to tick, dude? <laughs> you have to listen to women and you have to listen to people of color and you have to listen to the LGBTQ community for the things that they go through because you can try and understand as much as you possibly can, but you can never fully grasp it because you haven't lived it. Yeah. So please, in scenarios like this, when things happen, don't leap back with something with whataboutery or it's not that bad. Stop for a sec. Listen to the women who have been through it. And in incidents of racism or homophobia or transphobia, listen to the people who go through it and just listen. Just listen and sit with it for a bit. Because yeah. if it was your sister who was going through this and you saw a man doing that to them, how would you react? Yeah. As we'll touch on in a little bit with the Van Dyke stuff, it's football tribalism. You cannot compartmentalize. Like, my hero is not capable of doing something like this. Yeah, they are. They really are because they're human beings. Human beings are fundamentally flawed. So whether you thought it was bad or good or, or what, it, to be honest, it kind of doesn't really matter. Your opinion doesn't really matter on this because it's never happened to you in that sense. You know, you putting your hand on my shoulder in that way is very different. It's a very different thing. And if you can't grasp that, then don't comment on it, in my opinion. Absolutely right. Right then. Very, very quickly. Um, Newcastle United were beaten 4-1 by Manchester United at St. James's Park, which is a big result for United because Newcastle really enjoy that fixture or have enjoyed it in recent years. And I think the one thing I would say to Newcastle, to take away from this game is, I don't understand quite why so timid because they have, Newcastle have got some really interesting pieces there. They've got very fast players on the counter. Sam Maximan, Joe Ellington and, and Wilson as well. Good finishers. Shelby can launch them with the counter and I just don't understand why they sat so deep against United after taking that very early lead, Luke Shaw and goal. United actually played some lovely stuff in the final third. I just want to shout out especially two players. Daniel James, who's been criticised so much recently, but he's not a playmaker and he showed that if you put Daniel, Daniel James showed if you put him in a team with a central playmaker and not the chaos, because, you know, I, I love Bruno Fernandes and I love Paul Pogba, but they are both fairly chaotic in their playmaking, right? They are. Pogba's more deliberate and Fernandes is more chaotic, but there's not really a controller and they put one matter in there and they surrounded him with extreme speed and United instantly looked vastly better in terms of structure. 
So Rashford moved freely and played beautifully. Fernandez was really comfortable. It was almost like Mata controlled the tempo and allowed Fernandez to play free, more like a kind of hazard. And you saw the benefits of that. Van der Beek combined beautifully with um, Fernandez and and Mata. So all I would say is, you know, it's really encouraging for United in terms of the attack. And others were saying, people said on social media, like, are you being a bit harsh on Solskjaer? And I was like, I don't think I am. I think that Solskjaer's peak is visible. And I still believe that a coach that gives that squad an extra 20% could do something really exciting. And people said to me, oh, you know, you're saying this squad is like all that. I said, actually, no, I think the Manchester United team is actually far better than people give it credit. The talent in that squad is higher than people maybe believe. And I think an elite coach, and when I said elite coach, I said one of three or four coaches in the world could bring an extra 20% out of those players without an extra signing. The Juan Mata inclusion is an interesting one because it's kind of like, you know, one parent always gets dragged into like supervising like a 10-year-old's bowling party. Yeah, exactly. Something like that. It's like very much Juan Mata's energy. It's like, right guys, I'm just here to make sure that none of you, you know, end up going down the bowling lane with a ball. Yeah, exactly. I've got to make sure you all get home safe. You have the fun. And I think that that works. It was a quite a nice balance to that Manchester United thing. But I think the thing you said about Newcastle sitting back, I can kind of understand because... United are really dangerous on the counter-attack. They're essentially a counter-attacking team, Manchester United. That's where they look the most dangerous. I don't think they're massively dangerous if they're camped in your own half. No. So I can understand the Newcastle desire to sit deep and try and just make sure that United didn't get in behind because as you saw in the second half towards the end, the goals from Fernandes and Rashford were exactly what they didn't want to happen. Mm. I just think that they could be more ambitious when they sit deep on the, by launching attacks. I think they're good enough to sit with a bank of defenders and actually release those players from deep. I think they're good enough to do that. But they did do that quite well. Like Callum Wilson broke a couple of times. I thought he was really impressive actually. But there was a couple of outlet passes that didn't quite make it. But yeah, I just think quality won out at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. Another football of interest in the Premier League? No, I think that was it this weekend. (laughs) Should we go to the Merseyside derby? Yes. Everton 2, Liverpool 2. Everton are good. There's a weird synergy going on between the Everton men and women's teams. Both yeah, lost funny. their 100% records this weekend. Both drew two all. Although, I will say the Everton women draw was maybe a, a, a more disappointing result only because it was funny. Everton did what they do, which is basically like take the lead with high intensity, have Godin score the final goal you know, with 50 minutes to go. And then they got, they got pulled back. They got pegged back uh, to 2-2 by Brighton, who are a good side and actually who have been already quite influential in this title race. Mm. Um, yeah, took points off Manchester City, took yeah. points off Everton. So they're a good, good side, good side, uh, Brighton. So yeah, I mean, it's funny. Do you know what I love about the Everton teams? It's that the expectations are now higher. So when you see Everton women draw, you're like, especially at home, you're like, oh, that's a disappointing result. And yeah. when Everton went 2-1 uh, down to Liverpool, I said on Twitter, like, it's a mark of how good they are, Everton now, that a loss here to Liverpool is a disappointing result. And I got an angry response from that. And I was like, oh, that's my Liverpool fan. Who I think, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I, I went and checked my Twitter. Really? Yeah. And I was like, well, the, because you know what it is? I think that some of them feel Everton's breath on their neck in a way they haven't in recent seasons. Everton are now a legitimately good football team with great attacking options, a range of ways they can break you down. And Calvert-Lewin scoring a beautiful headed goal. For Calvert-Lewin to score a headed goal like that, if, some, if you rewind and go, can you imagine yourself scoring a soaring header in the Merseyside derby, clearing your marker by basically a foot and a half? Three years ago, he might be like, mm, there's a lot of things in my game, but I can't see myself being that dominant aerial threat over. He, well, he might, maybe he did, to his credit, maybe he felt that. But I feel just really excited for him that he has made this huge advance in his progress. Man, Dominic Calvin-Lewin's got hops. He, do, he really does, yeah. That was a vertical. Andy Robertson wanted no part of that as well. No he saw Dominic Calvin-Lewin going up, just like... Ah. Didn't it remind me of Micah Richards watching Wayne Rooney go up for the bicycle kick in the derby. He's like, what are you doing up there? Oh. See, but, but Everton just generally, they hung tight. They hung tight. You know, this Thiago was back and did some very Thiago things. Do you know what? Thiago did one of the most beautiful passes that is probably the most pointless because yeah. it didn't count for Henderson's goal because Manny was offside. Was it a no-look pass? Was it a no-look, wasn't it? Yeah, it was unbelievable. I tried to, uh, I didn't, but I was, gonna, I was thinking about pitching my 
ring a piece this week, just 1500 words on that useless past. Not sure people would want to read that. Well, <laughs> but, um, every, literally every single other podcast is going to talk about VAR. So we should probably mention it a bit. I can't, I still can't understand why Mane's goal wasn't given. I just can't. I yeah. can't. I just, I can't. There's a weird thing going on with VAR at the moment where you literally cannot measure to the to the accuracy that it's trying to measure at. So therefore you should just give it, I think, in that scenario. Sorry, Everton fans. I know they absolutely hate me for saying that, but I think if it was, if it was the other way around, that's the way that I always try and judge situations like this, for example. If they happen against Arsenal, how would I have felt if that had gone against Arsenal? Yeah, awful. If I feel outraged by it, then I would assume that it was probably... Absolutely. VAR is weird. I can't figure it out. I don't really know anymore about it. I, thought, I mean, we could get into a debate yeah. about it, but everyone, literally everyone will be talking about it. But I just don't get it. It's weird. Before weird. we get to the bad note on this derby, because we'll get there in a sec, I wanted to say one of the things I love about derbies is when the big players score. So I mm. loved seeing Mo Salah score. Oh, his goal was so good as well. He's been really, really like he's this season. He's there's a couple of individuals and teams that have started with a vengeance. Arsenal women are one. They've started with a real, like somebody hurt them in the off season. And the same with Salah. I'm like, I don't know what grudge you're bearing, but you can see a player who plays with a grudge and like someone annoyed Salah. Luis Suarez. Yeah. Suarez is my goodness. He wants to smoke with everyone. There's yeah. players playing and we don't know what the grudge is. And you know, you're welcome to like, obviously Stadio is, we're always listening here. If there's any players listening to this podcast, you've got a grudge, feel free to email us. Stadiofootballgmail.com. In confidence. We In can, confidence. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we won't tell, we won't name you. But I just want to know what the grudges are. So another assist for James Rodriguez, another goal for Sadio Mane and another goal for Mo Salah. And like we said before, another goal for Dominic Cavalier. And they were the four goals, right? One red card in this game definitely should have been two. Richarlison got sent off for a horrible, horrible tackle on Thiago. Just, oh God. That was such so a derby horrible. red card. It was such a derby red card. And Pickford should have gone, Yeah, I think. Again, the VAR thing, weird here, because I don't think the flag had gone up by the time he tackled him. But this was, what, 10 minutes gone? And even so, I just think Pickford should have gone, because this was nasty. This was like Lewis Dunks in, uh, in the Palace-Brighton game as well. Yeah. Absolutely horrible. Like, I just, oh, horrible tackle. Obviously, the news has come out that Van Dijk needs surgery. He's got an ACL injury that neither him nor Liverpool have put a time frame on his recovery, but I wouldn't expect him back anytime soon. That is an awful, I mean, it's just... ACL injuries are horrible. Like yeah, What I will say about it, and they are horrible, and what I will say about this is the problem for Jordan Pickford was this was not a surprise. If someone said to you, oh, so-and-so's cleared out a player, a goalkeeper's cleared out a player with a reckless challenge and someone goes, oh, it was Pickford, you'd be like, ah, oh, that doesn't surprise me. And that's a problem for him. Just the kind of, I think you said it like on Twitter, you said it in a very diplomatic way, in a very good way, like he's too extra. There's not control in his play. Made some outstanding saves. And this is the problem, I think. You don't know what you're going to get with him. Mm. He's actually a weirdly evolved form of Kepa, that makes sense. Like in terms of, he doesn't convey authority. He doesn't convey authority. Right. There's a few things at play here. I think the, the, the fallout of the Van Dyke thing has been weird. And I don't think anyone is assuming or suggesting that Pickford went in to injure Virgil van Dyke. But also, those arguments to me are the most mundane arguments when tackles like this happen. It doesn't matter if, he's, if anyone is not that type of player. And it doesn't matter if they aim to harm. It was a dreadful tackle that has caused some harm. He should have been sent off. It was like when Andre Gomez had yeah. his, was it, he, he had a compound fracture, right? Or a dislocated ankle, that was an broken ankle. ankle. The kind of son thing from a, for a couple of weeks after where he's like, you know, being all apolog apologetic to camera and stuff like that. Like, it doesn't matter. That was a really spiteful tackle. And it doesn't matter whether you aim to harm or not. It was a retaliation for something that happened a few things before. And whilst the actual tackle didn't cause the injury, it caused him to impact on Serge Aurier, yeah. which caused the injury. Actions have consequences. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's a lot of hyperbole going around about this injury at the moment. It was a dreadful tackle. It's caused a really bad injury. I hope Van Dyke gets back to full fitness. But also, this is a part of a wider thing with Jordan Pitford is that he is way too hyped. Reckless, reckless. And he yeah. has been hyped for all the time. And there's no way that he aimed to harm Van Dyke. We know that. But still, it's still a shit challenge. And he still needs to calm down a bit because... His whole 
performances have been erratic and this is just an extension of that I think but also some like I think Danny Murphy called Van Dyke like the best centre-back he's ever seen on match of the day or something like that and I'm like huh really we're going there I don't know there's a lot of there's a lot of weird I think maybe because it was a derby and who who the injured player was like obviously Van Dyke is very much heralded as as some you know some kind of like one of Liverpool's saviors along with you know Alisson and now that Liverpool have got Alisson and Van Dijk out and well I think that I think actually the Van Dijk injury affects the destination of the title it really does I think you know if the player they could least afford to have injured is Virgil van Dijk. I think everything else, I think he just knits together that entire, you know, third, those, those two thirds of the team. Thiago there will be, Thiago will be huge now because his ball playing ability, his ability to kind of take pressure off the back four will be huge. But the absence of van Dijk, especially in this league, like I think we'll have an unusual title winner this year, potentially. And I think that we'll, well, if not an unusual title winner, the top three is going to look strange at the end of this year. I think the top three is going to be really surprising. So I, I, still, yeah, think, I, mean, I still think yeah. City can do it. I still think City or Liverpool could do it, but I think the top three is going to be surprising this year. Yeah, I mean, for Liverpool, I actually think that the way that the season's going, I think losing one of those front three for a sustained amount of time is probably more critical because I think that you may be able to scrape through but just by outshooting teams this year. Yeah, wow. firepower. Yeah, actually, yeah. We're gonna, one thing I have to say quickly about this on outshooting, this is why very briefly I'm worried for Sheffield United, mm. um, because this is a league where, in a league of chaos, goal scoring is going to bail you out. Yeah, and I just worry that they or Fulham look at the one or draw. I'm not sure those two have that many goals in them. So yeah, no. fingers crossed for them anyway. Villa maintain the maximum record after Ross Barkley with a lovely goal in stoppage time against Leicester away. Gorgeous strike. They win their game in hand. They go top. Everton are still top, unbeaten, obviously. Actually, can I just say something? We just went over that Villa win over Leicester like it was nothing, which means that Villa are a, are a legit Champions League contender. Villa are legit. But that's what I love about it. That's what I love. I love that we were so casual with it because they are now, like that win over Leicester in its own way, not as impressive as the Liverpool win because it's Liverpool and that was this, but an extremely impressive victory in a sense like when Dean Smith looks back at the season, he'll be like, this was a statement victory. Mm. You know, this was like to go to Leicester after that result against Liverpool, when everyone's looking out for you and everyone knows what you can do and to still come through with a late win, that is how a contender for a Champions League place wins a game. Mm. Super impressive, actually. Really impressive. Yeah, really, really impressive. We actually need to take a break before we go into the two, three or draws. Oh <laughs> everyone's just like, what? No, I've been waiting for this so far. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Back in a sec. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, back from the break. I want to save the best for last. So let's start with Chelsea, Southampton. Yep. Wow. Southampton, Chelsea to Chelsea. Or did Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea? Or did Chelsea, West Brom, Chelsea? Or did I th- Southampton, I th- Chelsea, West Brom? Do you know what happened? I think everyone catfished themselves. Chelsea, obviously, obviously team in progress, mm. but let's be positive this week. The, the parts of Chelsea's team that they're happy with going forward function beautifully. Timo Werner, Kai Havertz combining nicely. Werner looked superb, wonderful moving from deep. And at his best, Werner is a threat anywhere. In the, anywhere. Once he crosses the halfway line, Werner's dangerous. And that's mm-hmm. what we saw from him. And we saw a really um, a saddening mistake from Kepper. And when I say saddening mistake, I say this because he's obviously on his way out because it didn't mm. have Mendy there. Mendy's the new signing. Mendy was out. The only reason why I was really sad about that for Kepper's own sake was I really want him to get a good club next. And mistakes like that make it hard for 
a really good club to take a punt on him. If that makes sense. It's hard for him to land safely. So I hope that he gets a good club and I hope whoever he's talking to will be like, you know what, like his confidence is not in the best place because actually the worst mistake he made, weirdly enough, was the second one when he had a chance to make the clearance. Oh. He made a first, the first miss was really bad, but then he had to charge to clear it again. But he was obviously so panicked. He didn't realize how close he was to the ball. So he could have still, he could have still cleared it for a corner. So I just want to say that. So Chelsea's attack, the fluid parts that are working, the parts that Lampard will be happy with and the parts that, because Lampard can look at this and be like, do you know what? We shouldn't have conceded late, but ultimately it's a bit like Arteta, right? The parts of Arteta's team that are fixed, he's really happy with. The attack isn't quite flowing as he would want, but the defensive solidity is there. So it's almost like Arteta's built the back half of the team and Lampard's built the front half. Mm -hmm. So I'd say to Chelsea fans, I suppose this is just about, it's slightly Chelsea right now, this season, I would say are about maybe like slightly below their progress that you'd expect, but ultimately nothing really to worry about. And with Ziyech coming in as well, I mean, that's, that, that is the major problem. I mean, where you put a player like that and other players not missing out. Um, well, I mean, the yeah. thing is for Chelsea now is that the, the excuses are kind of evaporating slowly. You know, Pulisic was back, Ziyech came on. You know, they're getting those injuries back now. Mm. I think when Mundy comes back and then Thiago we'll Silva yeah. is back, who was missing this weekend as well, they've basically got everyone. And the good news is that no one is talking about Timo Werner or Kai Harvats anymore in an will-they-won't-they they fashion. Yeah. But they're going to have to start clicking, I do think, because the one out that Frank Lampard had was that, you know, a bunch of new players bunch of injuries it's going to take time to get them clicking but like we said before they're going to have to figure it out yep. getting pegged back to two all taking the lead again and then conceding right at the end can't really happen if they have genuine ambitions of challenging for a title you know I will say I will say one thing that does surprise me a little with Chelsea defence we saw Lampard play as you know as a player incredibly disciplined when he had to be in a defensive midfield role we've seen Lampard play like incredible defensive games of football as a footballer and we've seen him play with some of the greatest defenders English football has seen, European football has seen. I'm just saying it's a, little bit, it's a little bit odd because I would expect someone who had no concept of defensive quality to have these kinds of challenges at the back. Mm. But I would have thought, I mean, just, I would have thought that Lampard would have been, I remember what we had, the pieces we had at Chelsea when we were under Mourinho. And we need that triangle to be incredible. We need someone like, you know, Joe Roden who went to, Spurs from Swansea, fantastic player. We, we need that kind of person or we need that solid backline. And I'm not criticizing him for the recruitment. It's more like, I wonder what he, I just wonder what he's thinking. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Given mm -hmm. that he played with like the basis of so many of his successes as a player were defensive systems of which he was an integral part. The, the most impressive Frank Lampard performance I saw arguably was where he didn't score was the 4-1 over Arsenal Emirates, where he basically played mm. as a defensive screen. Yeah, thanks for that. Okay, sorry. Uh, okay, well, there, there was another game when he played with Lampard in the 2-0 over... He played with Lampard. Sorry, when he played with Balak, sorry. When Balak and Lampard played in deep line midfield roles against... Oh, sorry, that was Arsenal as well. When Drogba scored twice. Sorry, anyway. Wow. Uh, um, wow. Sorry. Wow. So well, I don't know what, so you know, um, next yeah. weekend when uh, <laughs> Chelsea, when we'll be reflecting on Chelsea's 9-6 win over Manchester United at Old Trafford on Saturday, I'll, uh, I'll uh, bring this up. Just, look, I'll just... Uh, <laughs> Sipping. <laughs> but like Baby Yoda then, just taking a... Oh, just look, just watching Manchester United, Chelsea. Oh, that a 13-goal thriller. Oh. <laughs> But I mean, we've spent a lot of time talking about Frank Lampard here, but one thing I do want to say is that, yeah, they probably should have seen out the game when you go 2-0 up and then, you know, they took the lead again. But I think that the Spurs result at Southampton has actually warped people's perspectives of Southampton a little bit this season. And also because there's been such a big talk about, you know, whether Lampard has actually the tactical chops to do it, Ralph Hasenhuttle is a really, really good coach. He coached the side really well and they were more than worthy of, the, of a point. Thoroughly deserved the point. You know, they had more shots than Chelsea, created almost as many chances. Possession-wise, it wasn't miles off, 53% to 47% Chelsea. Like, this is a good Southampton side and I think that, well, I think we'll be talking about Southampton quite a lot this season, to be honest, because 
they always have a performance like the Spurs one in them, but this looks a hell of a lot more like a Hasenhull side than it did do under the early period when he joined. Yeah. Right. Why, why do we always spend so long in the Premier League at the moment? Because there's so much going on. Calm down, Premier League. Tottenham Hotspur 3, West Ham United 3. Right. Spurs were unbelievable for the first 20 minutes of this game. Mm. Mourinho, I didn't think he could bring this squad cohesively together like this. Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't think he'd get them playing football at this level. But I didn't think that I would see Mourinho football at this level from him again. I didn't think I would, but I'm seeing it. I'm not sure how consistent we'll see it, but I'm seeing it and I'm impressed the problem, by it. Well, yeah, but the problem is that we've lost, he seems to have lost the ability to shut games out now. There's nothing kind of either or. It reminds me of like, do you remember Betis a couple of years ago after Kike, under Kike Setien? Mm. They went through this phase of like scoring loads of goals, but conceding loads of goals and then scoring no goals, but being defensively really solid. And they could never get the balance right. At one although, point. although in his defense, uh, Mourinho's defense, Seb Staffordlaw said on Twitter, like actually those mistakes, those individual mistakes were there before Mourinho arrived. And yeah, those true. players, yeah, yeah. Th- the goals conceded were not systemic failures. They were individual errors. And those can be ironed out with the new additions. So I, I actually feel like this three-all result, as gutting as it is and as awful as it is for Spurs, because they'd want to sort of build on the 6-1. In the long-term fundament, in terms of what this, this result represents, is ultimately still positive. Because if Bale, Bale went through and Bale should have scored that actually. Bale should yeah, have, made, yeah, Bale should have scored. Yeah, Bale should have scored. I mean, as they asked Mourinho what happened and he said football happened. And actually, he was right. It did. What odds would you have got if Bale had come on at 81 minutes gone and Spurs 3-0 up if you'd said, oh, it's going to be a 3-0 draw? What odds would you have got? You could have retired off that. I mean, I wouldn't be here this morning. Yeah. Too busy sailing my eco-friendly yacht around the world. Bought bought yourself a castle with the proceeds. Exactly. Can I come out with a, a, that's not really a take though. I think this was a fair result. I think a draw was a fair result in this game. Overall, I think the fact that Spurs raced out to such a lead, Mm. I think skewed the actual balance of the game. I think West Ham were actually pretty good. Mm. And the way that the game happened in terms of basically the 24 minutes of chaos, Mm. I think maybe skewed people's perceptions of the game. Yeah, sure. If you go 3-0 up and there's eight minutes left, you should not draw the game. Mm. I get that. But I think overall, I think... On the balance of play. Yeah, I think West Ham did deserve a point from this game. It's one of those, just like how it plays out in terms of like the the timeline. Yeah. If it had been one one, 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 one all, two, one, two all, I think people would have been like, yeah, fair result. Yep, yep. But still... I said it before, that Everton win over Spurs at the start of the season, both teams look a lot better than they, you know, that is, that, that's one of those results which is much more significant the more you look at it. Because the quality oh, yeah, of both teams has held up. Yeah, yeah. We've just but been, we've been treated... Massive shout to Manuel really. Lanzini because that yeah. goal, one of those moments where you're just like, I couldn't believe it. Like that moment, that strike, literally the whistle blew after. David Moyes didn't have, have a clue what to do. He was on the pitch, jumping around. It was kind of, actually kind of quite endearing. You know what I love about that goal as well? It passes immediately into Derby legend. Yeah. Immediately. Like it's, it's now like he's going to be dealt, you know, because Derby's have got their own special. It's a weird Derby place. as well. Like it's a weird London Derby Spurs West Ham. Actually, there were a lot of Derbies this weekend, weren't there? Mm. A lot of but they Derbies. Really, but they really hate each other. Yeah. <laughs> like, but this, 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 this particular goal by Lanzini, 20 years from now, they'll be talking about that. Oh yeah. And it'll be like, oh yeah, we weren't the one, the one sad thing was we weren't in the ground to see it, but that will go into that will pass into, into legend now. Oh, Premier League's done. <laughs> yeah, it is. Let's go to the Women's Super League because it was a historic North London derby in the Women's Super League. Arsenal ran absolutely riot and battered Spurs 6-1. Being 3-0 up in 15 minutes, should have been 4-0 up after about 20 minutes and should have actually had five in the first 25 minutes. They went in at halftime, 5-0 up. Thanks to her first half Viv Miedemar hat trick, she became the Women's Super League all time top goal scorer with 52 goals in 50 games. And since she made her Super League debut, no one has registered more assists than Viv Miedemar. Unreal. And she's 24 years old. Viv Miedemar is making a case to be the most devastating or destructive footballer in the women's game at the moment. Who would you put above her? 
That's a very good question. I mean, I t- I've always said that like one of the most dominating performances I've ever seen of a player on a football pitch was just watching Ada Hagerberg live. Obviously, Hagerberg has been out with a with a cruciate ligament injury and is right. you know making her way back very slowly. But Viv Miedemar is just she's just deadly. She uh, honestly, man, her performance against Spurs, she was well, unbelievable. That's the, thing, that's the thing I can't. I don't. There's not someone better at the game at the moment. There's not someone better. No, and and the thing is, it started out like the Katie McCabe show. Katie yep. McCabe came out and was just not messing. She got an unbelievable free kick. Tried one a few minutes later, but was everywhere. And then Daniela van der Donk set up Viv Miedemar a few minutes after the first goal. Leah Williamson clipped a beautiful pass through to Caitlin Ford. Scored the third on 15 minutes. And Katie McCabe got the assist for Viv Miedemar's second. Um, Caitlin Ford, Ford assisted the th- Miedemar's hat-trick goal. And Caitlin Ford got her second in the second half and then spurred I mean, one thing for, for Arsenal they'll be really disappointed by is like they conceded a goal from a corner right Arsenal Arsenal a bit questionable from corners defending corners Spurs had a penalty saved by Manuela Zinsberger as well which was a questionable penalty anyway but still just an absolutely unbelievable performance first half especially I wonder if Arsenal learned something from the cup because it took a while to break them down in the cup Spurs yeah and maybe they just thought we have to hit them with the early intensity because it did seem quite pointed how they tore into them. Yeah, I agree. And I think also the thing is that it's worth mentioning that Arsenal were without Jill Rod, who scored a bag of goals already this season. They were without Kim Little. They were without Jordan Nobbs. They were without... Well, they barely had any subs. They had four on the bench due to the amount of injuries they've got. So that early intensity, yeah, that was interesting. And the problem is if you tear into teams early, they leave the space and Miedemar exploits that. She gets into that kind of like... It's actually the classic 10. It's funny because she basically alternates between being an out and out nine and the classic 10 in the space of like a couple of moves. She will take up those positions really well. We've said before that Arsenal really need to hammer every single team outside of Chelsea, Manchester City, probably Everton. You could maybe start putting Manchester United in that category at the moment. Yes, definitely. Definitely, definitely, actually. Played five, won five. Scored 29, conceded four for Arsenal. Goal difference of plus 25 after five games. The only caveat I would say to that, because we thought before it would be like Arsenal shootout. Now, look at the strength of these other teams like Reading and Brighton. I'm not even sure. See, I don't think big wins against those other teams necessarily wins or loses after the Arsenal title now. I think there are so many more drop points in this league now than I ever realised. Mm-hmm. Teams looking at Brighton and Reading now taking a point of Man City and Man City are in some kind of they're in a bit of trouble in relation to this title already yeah they drew with Reading uh, went a goal behind really early on yeah Roosevelt's first start Sam Mewis got another goal Manchester City she's really starting to play but a lot of drop points for Manchester City already against sides that you would expect them to beat and it's going to be hard to make up ground because obviously we saw Manchester United are really starting to to click Pressing Tobin. Yeah, Tobin Heath's first goal, right? Yep, yeah. Yeah, two for Alicia Russo, one for Tobin Heath, assisted by Alicia Russo. And a Christian Press goal right at the end gave Manchester United a 4-2 win over West Ham at West Ham. Manchester United are third in the table. Chelsea have a game in hand, but even if they win their game in hand, they can only go level on points with Manchester United, but will be ahead of goal difference. Manchester City are fifth. So if Chelsea win their game in hand, everyone will have played five and Manchester City will be five points off the top four. That's a huge already. margin at this point. That's a huge margin. Women's Super League takes a break for a couple of weeks now. International duty. There's some big games when they come back. So keep an eye on the Women's Super League. We've said it before, everyone. Do you want to take another break before we get into the rest of the stuff? Absolutely, let's do it. All right, we're back from the break. Final part of the show. The Premier League needs to just chill a bit because it's taking up too much of our time at the moment. It's a bit like you, Moussa. It's taking up too much of my time. <laughs> not even joking. You're not even yeah. joking. I wish I was joking. <laughs> Maybe I am. We'll never know. <laughs> I know. I always know. <laughs> Let's quickly rattle through the Bundesliga because it was actually a pretty low-key weekend in the Bundesliga. Lots of draws. Bayer Leverkusen beat Mainz 1-0 away. This is probably the biggest thing of the weekend. Dortmund, their first away win at Hoffenheim since December 2012. And a really important win going into the weekend because this is the kind of game that has often, like we saw with the Augsburg game, for example, this had Augsburg written all over it. And it was a late goal from Marco Royce, came as a substitute along with 
Berlin Holland in the 64th minute. They were both rested, I assume, ahead of Champions League and also Erling Holland had been away on international duty. But a massive win for Dortmund, really, especially because Bayern beat Armenia Bielefeld 4-1 in Bielefeld. Yeah. Gladbach and Wolfsburg drew one all. Köln and Frankfurt drew one all. Schalke and Union drew one all. And uh, we're recording Hertha this. Hertha lost to Stuttgart 2-0. Hertha did lose to Stuttgart. That's a bit of a weird one. It makes the loss to Eintracht not look like a blip. Mm. I would say this was the first result I saw for Hertha that actually kind of slightly concerned me, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, I would agree. Hertha are very, you know, they've only won one game this season. Yeah. So far. And they're lurking down the bottom. They, you know, we're Labadia fans. Yes. But, you know, maybe it's time to start banging the... Uh... No, don't... St- no, don't... <laughs> <I say> it? <laughs> Go on, see it. Poch to Berlin. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that is a hot take. That I mean, it'll never take. happen. It, they're one of the few Bundesliga sides who could probably afford him and his, his, his team, but yeah. it's never going to happen. I, and I hope Labadia, Bruno Labadia, turns it around because one of the sharpest managers in the Bundesliga. Yeah. RB Leipzig are top. Yeah. Good win for them. Bayern and Dortmund second. Bayern ahead on, well, Bayern second on goal difference. Dortmund third. Uh, Eintracht fourth. And Stuttgart fifth after their return to the Bundesliga. There was an interesting thing at Schalke where the players went and met with a load of ultras after the game. In the Bundesliga, the communication between fans and, and players is a lot more regular than in probably in any other league, actually. Top league, definitely in the Premier League. Matt Ford from DW had a good thread about this. Uh, I retweeted it if you want to check it. Yeah, about 80 Schalke ultras demanded to speak to the team. Long story short, it was basically ahead, a bit of a warning to fix up ahead of the derby next week because it's the, uh, the Rivier derby next weekend, Dortmund against Schalke in Dortmund. I was hoping to go to that, but because of the spike in cases, I've decided not to travel. Mm. Wise decision. Yeah, we had our record number of cases in Germany over the weekend since mm. the pandemic began. Yikes. There was a quote that Matt wrote, and this is after their 1-1 draw against Union. That was okay today, but you need to do more in the derby. It's the most important game of the year. You can lose, but it depends on the manner. If it's not at least as good as today, we'll see each other again and it won't be so peaceful. Understood? (laughs) Oh, it's terrifying. (laughs) That is terrifying. There's a big history here, but there's a good thread that Matt wrote about it. So I'd recommend going and read that. And um, big weekend next week, because obviously apart from Man United, Chelsea, the Classico, Got Dortmund Schalke, number of big games next weekend. So maybe we'll just do, we won't do leagues next week. We'll just do like four games on yep. Monday. All right. That's the Bundesliga for now. Let's go to La Liga because we were going to start with La Liga today, but then we thought that they'll come for us. Yes. Barcelona and Real Madrid lose going into a Clasico for the first time in 17 years. Do you know what? I want to start with saying I am so happy for Gideon. <laughs> Yeah, in the first twenty minutes or so, they really went for Real. Batted, batted them, yeah. They yeah. absolutely went for them. And when they took the lead, it wasn't undeserved. I don't think. No, not at all. You always know when Real are in trouble because Tony Kroos makes a really bad error in the first five minutes. Oh yeah, <laughs> happened against yeah. Abar, and it happened here, and I was like, ah, oh, they're in trouble now. Like you can- <laughs> yeah. So when they did take the lead, eventually, eventually after sixty minutes, Alvaro Negredo assists to Anthony Lozano who played for... Do you remember when Girona beat Real at the Bernabeu? Yes. Yes, I do. Anthony yeah, yeah. was on that side, that Girona side as well. Alvaro Negredo, man of the match performance. Yeah, he had a fine game. He had a great game. Do you know what was wild about this game? Zidane making four half-time substitutions. Oh my goodness. Yeah, hooking, that's great. Hooking Lucas Vasquez, Luka Modric, Isco and Sergio Ramos at half-time. You know what's so weird about Zidane? How he just doesn't, and I think Miguel Delaney said this, it's just that he decides that some players are just not for him. Mm. So he chose Vasquez. He loved Vasquez. He'd pick Vasquez over James Rodriguez. Like, and just would not really play James much at all. And he's a funny one. Like he very, he has a very, I suppose it's a strong sense of managerial identity. He knows exactly what he wants and doesn't want. And I think the strange thing for Zidane at the moment is He's juggling the pack at the moment, right? We've seen him do this now, third time. He started the first two games with different teams, different attacks, sorry. The Odegaard thing, played him as a 10, then used Isco there, um, had a different attack. And I feel like he's almost like, 
he did it last year, actually, to be fair, like with the incredible defence, but he can't rely on that defence this year. It's not as robust. It's just not as robust. So now he must be thinking, last year my attack wasn't really working. I only scored 70 goals, but I got 25 conceded. I wonder, because you look at the most exciting games that, have played this, that, that Madrid have played this season, have had nothing to do with Madrid. The best football played in Madrid games this season played by the opposition, the Betis. So I just wonder if Zidane is looking at the tools he has and thinking with the injuries he's got, he just has these ill-fitting parts, which is why I think Atleti actually are really interesting because they looked really quite good mm. against Celta Vigo. Yeah, they really did actually. 2-0 win over Celta. Another goal for Luis Suarez. Jao Felix came on and absolutely rocketed one against the bar in the last in the final minute or so of the game, which uh, Carrasco put in make it 2-0 but yeah Lucas Torreira played quite well in his debut for Atleti yeah he did he fitted really well. he, he's such an Atleti player yeah he was kind of he was yeah, yeah. spiritually he's born to play there also shout out to Sociedad top of the league Real Sociedad are top of the league although my god the refereeing in this game <laughs> there was some unbelievably wild officiating in this game and VAR just deciding it was like random let's just say it was experimental <laughs> I couldn't figure out what was going on. Betis really didn't have the rub of the green at all. No. It's great to see Sociedad top of the league. They really rode their luck in this game. Yeah. They replaced Villarreal at the top on goal difference, who beat Valencia early on in the day. With a great goal from Perejo. Oh, Danny, 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 Danny. Who then didn't celebrate. Danny Perejo, Francis Coquelin playing their old clubs who had to just flog them in a fire sale in the summer. We need to talk about Getafe Barca, or do we? The only people that really want to write Getafe Barca are probably Getafe at this point. <laughs> because Barca, I mean, Barca will not want to discuss this Getafe. We, but nothing that we didn't know about them. Committed, aggressive, now and then excessively so. But really good value for their win. Shut down Barca, didn't give them clear scoring opportunity. Messi not looking a bit out of sync with his attack. I think he's looked around already and is like, we've still got a lot of work to do because they started okay under Komen. Mm. I thought they were quite promising signs there, actually. Yeah. This is the first real one that's kind of been like, mm, actually, maybe things aren't fixed. But Getafe have it in them to cause yeah, a lot of pain to size it's Getafe, this exactly. It's Getafe, yeah. And, and I mean, this is a game I think we might see a lot of from Barcelona this season where, you know, they had like 70, 70 odd percent possession, but were outshot by Getafe, who don't create a lot of chances comparatively. Right. That will worry Barca. But like you said, Griezmann had that miss, what, quarter of an hour? Was it quarter of an hour gone? Horrible Is it that miss. early? I can't remember how early it was, but it was quite early. Yeah. That goes in, I think it's a completely different game because Barca just had so much of the ball. But much like the Premier League this season, La Liga, I think, is actually kind of wide open. And I don't think the overall quality is there as it has been in recent years. I think it's going to be all over the place. If I was, if I was Atleti, or if I was Sevilla, I would be taking this extremely seriously this year. Yeah, I agree. Because it is that wide open. Meanwhile, quickly, Geiska Garitano, I think, saved his job after Athletic Club beat Levante 2-0 at home. Things were getting very, very, very dicey for Garitano. So early as well. We yeah, him, but shame. Just been, I mean... But a shame for anyone to lose this early in the season, you know, regardless of what's gone before. They started the day in the bottom three already, yeah. you know, and they'd lost three of their opening four. So a much, much, much needed win. We need to go to Serie A. Yeah, we do. Which match would you like to start with, Musa? I think we start with the derby. Oh, the derby della Madonnina. Yeah. Again, I said before, I love it when big players score in derbies. So we got two from Zlatan in three minutes, I think. And we got one from Lukaku. 2-1 Milan win. And Milan, I mean, I'm really happy that Pioli stayed there. Yeah, I am too. Because I, I felt, I had a gut feeling. I was actually, Matteo Bonetti on Twitter was saying, I wonder, he said, I wonder if Atalanta will be the kind of anti-Juve. And I was like, I think it might be Milan this year. Interesting with this, when Zlatan just lets his football do the talking, devastating. It's actually kind of good. Yeah. And it's like, it's kind of like, um, it's each club that Zlatan's moved to in the last few years since PSG has been like, they need each other. Like, I mean, they both, they align in terms of their goals. And Milan really needed Zlatan to help restore Grandia. And he did it really, really well. They, were, they had Rebic missing Milan, but they still managed to carve a victory out. Liao played really, really well. Like, 
That's, they've got a really nice mix, um, Milan. They've got a blend in the squad. Inter losing and, you know, Inter, I think, they really had their chance last year. Mm. Um, and they're sort of sliding, not backwards, but sideways a bit because the other clubs that are hungrier are looking a bit more locked in this year. Roma made some promising signs already this year in terms of their attack. And Juventus are faltering. Juventus got a one all draw against yeah. Cotone. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of catfish contenders in Serie A this season. One thing I'll just say, one of the last thing I said on the Milan game on the derby, I'm gutted for Lukaku because Lukaku missed the chance late. Mm. That unfortunately is the kind of chance that Lukaku has been criticised a little bit too often for missing. This is a real problem for him actually. And you saw him when he missed the chance, you know, he looked really despondent. Theo Hernandez came in with a challenge, maybe slightly unsighted him, but fundamentally that's a chance that he should score. And you saw his head go down at the end because I think you kind of knew what he was thinking. He's like, I was bought to score that goal. Yeah. You know? But also, Hakimi had a really bad miss as well, I think. When you'd expect him to score. That really reminded me. Do you remember the Pirlo to uh, Licksteiner? The combo. But yeah. You, I, you, you, yeah sorry. Carry on, sorry, I think Inter should have drawn the game. Yes. They should have sure. got a point from that. Um, sure. But always watch Atalanta, apart from when they play Napoli, because Atalanta were absolutely demolished. 4 0 yeah. at half time with some of the worst, some of the worst defending. I mean, like, like Atalanta were dreadful in this game. Papa Gomez had a chance really early on. Mm. And that was kind of all they really had in the first half. And they just never looked in the game at all. Ilicic was back. It's going to take him a while, I think, before he, yeah. he, we, if we see the Ilicic of old. But Victor Uzimen got his first goal for Napoli. It was a really lovely moment. It was a good goal as well. And then yeah. um, Atalanta got one back. Sam Lammers got one in like just before the 70th minute. But unbelievable. Napoli were so good. Yeah. Um, and they've been so good this year. Lozano was brilliant. Scored two, scored the first two. And they are looking pretty tasty. I mean, there's only four games been played. Milan have obviously got the 100% record and remain top. So I swallow a second. Sassus. <laughs> this is what I mean. Every single. The Premier League, La Liga, Serie all with very, very interesting top fours slash fives. Samp beat Lazio 3-0. They rattled off a lot of like random 3-0 wins towards the end of last season. Exactly. So their trajectory is kind of like, is in that direction. Yeah. Serie is really interesting this season, man. Really is. Uh, let's go to Scotland really quick. So it's yeah. the first old firm derby of the season and Rangers with a massive win over Celtic 2-0. Two goals from Connor Goldson and really deserved the win. Celtic was just not at it at all. And it was a, such an important win for Rangers because Celtic had a game in hand yep. and could have gone top if they'd won that game in hand. Rangers now four points clear of Celtic, still unbeaten this season after 11 games. That played 11-1-9 with a superior goal difference to Celtic. They've only conceded three goals this season, Rangers. I love how Gerrard's just been quietly doing a really good job there for mm-hmm. quite a while now. I love how he just went there. And there was no, if you think about how he's done it, there's been very little fanfare. And I first noticed that Gerald was doing a good job when I saw some of those results in the Europa League. Because you can't, yeah. it's hard to tell sometimes with the, with the Scottish League in flux exactly how good those results are. But against Villarreal, I think it was. Mm. And I was like, he's really, he's really imposed an identity and they're competitive in midfield. They're combative. Again, they play on the front foot. They play to their strengths. And I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of excited for him because this is a really strong Celtic side. So credit to Gerard to even be ahead of a team that good. I think the move to Rangers for Gerard was a really smart one because it's a balance of, like, this is not a small football club. That's huge, yeah. Rangers. However, the Scottish Premiership doesn't really get the attention that it once did as the gap has grown or the, the major European leagues have pulled away financially. Yeah. Um, you know, back in the day, for us growing up, the Old Firm Derby would always be on TV. It's huge. It's huge. That was a massive, yeah. massive game. Even though the Scottish Premiership doesn't get the coverage that it once did, the Old Firm is still huge and it always will be. And an away win at this point of the season is a massive statement win for Rangers and for Gerrard. And I think that it was just, again, it's, he keeps passing these little checks, I think, that because there was a few eyebrows raised when he got the Rangers job. Mm. And I just think it was a really smart move for him because it's allowed him to, to have this nice balance of you know, trying to restore a former powerhouse to some glory 
but also kind of doing it a little bit out of the limelight. People have to realise how hard it is to manage Rangers. Yeah, exactly. Like this is a, John yeah. Barnes went to Celtic, you know, uh, another huge yeah, club, struggled. and really struggled. It's, it's yeah. really not easy to manage an old firm club. A lot of people have struggled, but yeah, massive win for Rangers and they thoroughly deserved it. All right, then before we get out of here, thanks to everyone who submitted their disrespected 11s to us. Alex Hayes wrote one and I want to read this. Let's do it. He says, I don't have a full 11, but I think Leo Messi deserves a shout in the disrespected 11. I can see where he's going. I know it's a bit far-fetched at first glance to call Messi disrespected, but my reasoning is as follows. He's constantly compared to Cristiano Ronaldo in a debate on who's the GOAT when it's frankly not even close based on every individual metric. Messi's stats and advanced stats are something we've never seen before and no one comes close. So the fact that there's a debate is disrespectful. The other level of disrespect comes from his treatment by Bartomeu and the Barca board. To waste the past years of Messi is shameful when he's given his entire career to one club. Also, the guy should have 8 to 10 Ballon d'Ors if there was actually realistic voting. I see it in the same realm as LeBron and MVP issue. Cheers from DC, Alex. Alex, I agree with you. The case is compelling. I, I agree. No, it's not just compelling. I agree with you. Mm. And I'll go on the record as saying that I think that actually Leo Messi is something we have never seen before. We've never mm. seen it before. You know, and you can put in Messi in terms of the national team treatment, the way he's been disrespected there. Another thing like, you know, wasting the prime of his career with some of those coaching tactical choices. That's a great shot. I love that. I love that. This one from Ashish Mudalaya. I hope I pronounced that right, sorry. <laughs> look, look at me coming out as full Messi stand. Musa, back in the room. Let them, you know, you know what, you know what? Let them have it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving that in. I'm leaving that in. Let them have it. <laughs> Ashish says, want to mention two modern players I consider. Raheem Sterling, still feel like he hasn't got his due. The English media has never respected him, similar to Ashley Cole in a way. And Yaya Torre, never really respected at Barcelona. One of the best players in the Premier League ever. And he's still not really given the respect he deserves. Then there was the whole cake fiasco at Manchester City. I can understand why they've been put forward, but I think they, I think, I think with the Yaya thing, I think it's like those who know, know. Yeah, I think it is. I think, I think he's, um, I think he's underrated more than disrespected, actually. I think, yeah, under- I think that's right. I had this one from Will Hardy. He said, chaps, big fan of the latest pod. Thanks, Will. Not going to give you any heat. Don't worry. Then with an asterisk. <laughs> He said, just wanted to talk about fullbacks. You say they were the most disrespected position, but is there a single more respected and appreciated player in, than the career specialist fullback in a Sunday league team? <laughs> well, PS, Asterix, Yaya Torre. There you go. I knew we couldn't get away with it. Do you know what, actually, that's a great point. The career specialist fullback, shout out to Ashley Pitter, played with at Stonewall. Ashley's like one of the best right backs I ever saw. And mm-hmm. Everyone loves a right back at Sunday League. You're right. Everyone loves a full back at Sunday League. We had a lot of people who submitted full 11s, but I don't think we've unfortunately got time to go into it. But I'm going to look through them and, and get back to a couple because whilst I agree with a few, there are a few that were a little bit like, really? Disrespected by who? <laughs> Young man. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Although I will shout out this one before we go because it really did tickle me. <laughs> Craig Disselkamp <laughs> Jens Lehmann Ashley Cole Colo Torre <laughs> Sebastian Scalacci <laughs> Emmanuel Libre Matthew Flamini <laughs> Samir Nasri Meza Ozil Theo Walcott Olivier Giroud Emmanuel Adebayor <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it basically says as an Arsenal supporter I wanted to do something different and give a modern day Arsenal disrespected 11 he said sorry for Musa for the Arsenal centric nature of this email it's fine. Thanks, Craig. That's great. I love that. That's actually a really nice concept. Like the members of your team or club that were most, uh, the most, that were most disrespected. That's really interesting as a concept, actually. Actually, maybe we should throw that out as a concept where we'll get people to submit their clubs all time disrespected 11 and we'll do those as an episode. But some people did send us some really nice ones, but I'd like to maybe go into that a little bit. So the most disrespected players for your club. Yeah. And then we'll try and record a concept episode in, a, in the next couple of weeks about that. Should we do that? Because that would be quite fun, actually, seeing what fans consider to be the most disrespected players that play for the clubs that they support. Yeah, because they'll, everyone will have them. Everyone's going to be like, oh, that one didn't get their due. That one didn't get their due. That one played a really big role. Keep it to the club that you support. And we'll try and record a conceptual episode in the next couple of weeks on that. So stadiofootball at gmail.com. And we should probably get out of here because we've been going really long. Uh, let's play out something wonderful. I mean, we always play on something wonderful. Yeah. 
We're going to play out on Vanna Vasesi by Mangzing Gilani from the Shangan Electro Comp. New wave dance music from South Africa. It's so good, this tune. Don't forget, you can check us on Twitter at Stadio. You can follow us on Instagram at Stadio Football. Check theringer.com forward slash soccer for our pieces this week. We'll be back on Thursday. Moose, anything you want to add? Don't forget, you can stay hydrated. <laughs> Definitely can. Definitely. Premier League needs hydrating. Oh my gosh. Uh, stay well, everyone. We'll see you in a couple of days. See ya. I'm